Well, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hello, is this thing on? Hello, hello. Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad that you're here this morning. Today is Choir Blitz Sunday, so where the choir will be singing in all the services. So uh, if you're interested in being a part of the choir, actually this coming Wednesday night, we are going to be introducing our spring concert musical, our music. Uh, it's uh, The concert is going to be called Praise, based off of a song uh, by Elevation Worship called Praise. And uh, we're going to be introduced, we're going to be singing through all that music this Wednesday at 6 o'clock down in the choir room. We'd love it for you to come. If you're just thinking, hey, let me go just see what it's all about, this would be a great way to come. And uh, no commitment, just come on and check us out. Uh, we think that uh, you'll enjoy yourself and uh, want to be a part of that. Uh, this is one of my favorite songs. It's called Rock of Ages. It's one, one of the only songs that I know, praise and worship songs, that has a harmonica in it. So I bought a harmonica just for this song. I've had it for 50 years. No, but probably 40 years. <laughs> no, anyway. So let's stand up. Let's sing Rock of Ages. Jesus is the rock. There 
that out and fill it out and then after the service go to the left to the welcome center there'll be a pastor there who would love to talk to you more about our church get you some information we even have a gift for you being here to worship with us this morning as we worship we want to take a moment this Sunday to acknowledge the sanctity of human life you know as Christ followers we believe that every human being is made in the image of God this is the Imago Day, and so because of that, um, every human being is worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And we believe this from the womb to the tomb. And one of the ways that our church is involved in honoring the sanctity of human life is we have a ministry called Embrace Grace. And so Embrace Grace is a Bible study and ministry that happens on Wednesday nights. Let me read you their mission statement. I want you to hear this. Embrace Grace exists to help, inspire, and equip the church to love, encourage, and encourage single and pregnant women and their families. And so this is what um, Embrace Grace has done, just a snapshot of their ministry over this past year. They've ministered to over 10 expected moms, giving a 12-week Bible study, two princess days on each semester, um, and then two generous baby showers. Um, this ministry has involved over 10 different connection groups in our church, and several of the women who attended Embrace Grace are still attending our church today. So at the baby shower, they, I guess, fill out a survey. I, wanna, I want you to see some of the quotes that we've seen uh, come from this uh, ministry here. 
says this, seeing all the people who came with open hearts, welcoming arms, no judgment to my circumstances. I want you to see another one. I loved being able to meet the group that sponsored me and to thank them personally. And so this is just a way that our church is reaching out into our community and uh, not only uh, honoring the sanctity of human life, but also ministering to people who are just in need of a community that loves Jesus and loves people. So to give you a, a better snapshot, we've got a quick video I want you to see. It just gives you a better picture of this ministry and how we are honoring the sanctity of human life. Let's watch this together.
Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says this. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles. Then we'll skip over a little bit. And it says, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope, without God in, a, in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood.
so much. If you have a copy of God's Word, will you turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 this morning. Next Sunday, we have our first ever starting point class um, at 9.45, um, and this class is for all people who are new to our church or looking to take their next step in their relationship to our church, whether they have questions about baptism or joining our church and membership. If that's you and you're interested in joining our church or you've been going here for a long time, but you, you want to know more what it means to be a member here or you have questions about baptism, we would love for you to come to Starting Point next Sunday. It'll be in the parlor at 945 and there'll be a light breakfast served. And so we would ask that you let us know that you're coming. And so you can stop by the Welcome Center today and let us know that you're coming to Starting Point. But if you're new, this is no commitment. It's just to learn more about our church and get a free breakfast, all right? So we would love for you to come at Starting Point. Todd's already trying to come, all right? And so Todd's been here eight years, eight years. And so if you've been here eight years like Todd, uh, you can still come if you, if you need to. So, but we'd love for you to come to Starting Point next week. But we're continuing our series this morning on the parables. Parables are simply short, fictitious stories or illustrations that Jesus shares to drive home a point about life in the kingdom of God. And our parable this morning is known as the unforgiving servant. And I believe it's one of the most challenging parables and challenging stories in all of the Bible. Here's what we learn. Forgiven people forgive. Let me say that again. Forgiven people forgive. And Jesus is going to challenge us, us with this truth this morning. Have you, have you ever been where I've been many times? Where I know I'm supposed to forgive someone, but I just don't want to. Anybody else ever been there? You know you're supposed to forgive them, but you just don't really want to. You don't have the motivation to do it. 
Well, Jesus tells this parable to help us in those moments when we know we ought to forgive, but we don't have the proper motivation. He's going to tell this incredible story known as the unforgiving servant. It begins in verse 23, but I want to hop back up two verses to verse 21 to give us the context of why Jesus tells the story. Look at verse 21. It says, Then Peter approached him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Peter asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, I know we're supposed to forgive people. I got it. But is there a limit? I mean, how many times do we have to do this? I mean, once, twice. I mean, how many times do we have to forgive? Maybe seven times. Now, we're pretty quick to be hard on Peter here. But let me tell you a little bit of the background. In the rabbinical tradition of Judaism at this time, it was taught that you had to forgive people three times. The rabbis... Those who taught the, the Old Testament Bible said, you have to forgive three times. First time, forgive. Second time, forgive. Third time, forgive. And that's it. Do y'all remember growing up, your parents going, that's one. That's two. That's three. And then you didn't have to forgive anymore. And so Peter, he knows that Jesus is kind of upping the game, and he says, all right, Jesus, what if we double that, and let's pick a very holy number? Let's try seven. What if we forgive seven times? Is that enough, Jesus? What's the limit on this forgiveness? But Jesus tells him he's still missing the point. Verse 22 says, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times. Now, there's some debate here about the number that's translated 70 times 7, whether that is 77 times or 70 times 7, depending on which translation you look at. It may say uh, either 77 or 70 times 7. But whichever it is, here's what it means. It means you are to forgive without limit. That we are not supposed to get to a certain point where you're counting. And you say, no more. That's not it. You're to forgive without limit. Jesus is saying, Peter, you want to know how many times you are to forgive? You're to forgive as many times as they come asking for it. You're to forgive without limit. But as we kind of begin this topic of forgiveness this morning, I want to make an important clarification about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you remove all proper boundaries. Hear me very clearly on this. If someone has physically abused or harmed you, forgiveness does not mean reconnection or taking down proper boundaries. Jesus requires us to forgive even of the most heinous sins that have been committed against us, but that does not mean that we are to remove the proper boundaries that should be there. You see, forgiveness is required but reconnection is not if you are in a situation like that do not hear me this morning as i call you to forgive as i call to stay in an abusive situation or reconnect in an abusive situation i want you to know your father sees you and he wants you to be safe amen but this doesn't lessen our call to forgive 
And that's what Jesus is going to teach Peter here. What is the heart behind forgiveness? Why do forgiven people forgive? He's going to tell them the story of the unforgiving servant. Let me give you the three characters that are important to know in the story. The first character is the king. The king is going to represent God. It's important to know this. The king represents God. The second character, we're going to call him the first servant, and he is going to represent you. He's going to represent you. And then the second servant is going to represent all of those who have sinned against you. Now that we know our characters, let's dive into the story that Jesus tells. The first scene we're going to entitle, A Debt You Can Never Afford. A Debt You Can Never Afford. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. So we meet our first two characters, the king and the first servant. The king decides it's debt collection day. The first servant owes a lot of money. And it's a serious situation. He, he begins to, he says, listen, you, your wife, and your children are going to be sold to pay this debt. Could you imagine being this man having to go home and tell his wife? It's very serious. But how much does he owe? Well, he says he owes 10,000 talents. How much money is that? Well, let me do a little quick biblical math for you. 10,000 talents, one talent equals 6,000 denarii. One denarius equals one day's wages. So 6,000 days of work would equal one talent. 6,000 days of work is one talent, and he owed 10,000 of those. So 10,000 times 6,000. So let me give you a modern equivalent. Let's say that an average day of work yields $100, 6,000 times 10,000. His debt would be the modern equivalent of $6 trillion. He has something in common with the United States of America, right? It's an unimaginable amount of money. Elon Musk and Bill Gates couldn't get their money together and pay off this debt. He owes a debt he could never afford. And there's a reason that Jesus paints this debt so large. Because he wants the listeners to realize it was a debt he could never pay back. It was a debt, no matter how much time that you gave him, he goes, just give me two more weeks. He's not coming up with $6 trillion. Oh, give me two months. Not coming up with it. Give me two years. Give me 20 years. You could have given him 200 lifetimes, and he couldn't have come up with this money. It was a debt, no, no amount of time, no amount of effort, no matter how hard he worked, he could not pay off this debt. It was too large that it could never be repaid. And what Jesus wants you to know is you have a debt just like this. We owe a debt to God because we are sinners. We have a sin debt. When we sin, we break God's law. 
We break it in thought, in word, in action. When we sin, we're not just sinning against people. We are sinning against a holy God in heaven. Our culture likes to talk about us being broken. And that's true. We are broken. But sin, in in its essence, is not merely brokenness. Sin, hear me this morning, is cosmic treason and rebellion personally against the holy God who made you who sits on the throne in heaven when we sin we are not merely making a mistake we are rebelling against our creator and the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that our sin has gathered up a debt that we owe and that debt it says will lead to death and separation from God Romans 6 23 We all owe a debt to God, a debt we can never afford. And one day, the Bible tells us that the king is going to come and settle debt here on earth. He's going to come and he's going to settle all debts. More time won't help. Your best effort won't fix it. No amount of future work could ever pay for the debt that you accrued. It's funny sometimes when people will say, well, well, how, how are people saved? Well, they think, well, good works. You think that your good works are going to pay for how large of a debt you've incurred against God? Not a chance. You think if you just jump in the baptistry tank, that's going to somehow pay for all of the debt that you've accrued against God? You think if you can come to church enough, you can pay the debt that you've accrued against God? You think you can give enough money in the offering to pay your debt? Oh, brothers and sisters, we think too little of our debt and too little of the holiness of God. Our sin is against a holy God, and it is a debt we could never afford. The only kind of payment that could ever pay for your sin and mine that could actually pay for it was a something so much more precious than anything that we have it took the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for our debt. So we had a debt we could never afford. Jesus is saying, you're in the same position as the first servant. You had a debt you could never afford. But that leads us to point number two. He receives mercy you could never deserve. Mercy you could never deserve. Look at verse 26. At this time, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. So he gets down and he says, No, listen, just be patient with me. I'll I'll pay, pay you everything. Could he actually do it? No. But what does the master do? Verse 27. Then the master of that servant had compassion. And notice he does two things. He released him and forgave the loan. Two things. He releases him from the punishment. He and his family were about to be sold into slavery. He releases him from the punishment that was coming because of his debt, and he forgives the debt. Two things. Releases from punishment and forgives the debt. He wipes him, and he has a clean slate. And notice what he doesn't do. He does not put the servant on a payment plan. Do any of y'all remember layaway? 
you go make a little payment, little payment, little payment, and eventually you get to do it. That's not how God forgives. He doesn't put you on layaway and pay a little bit at the time. He doesn't put you on a payment plan to try to pay him back. What this master does says, you are forgiven. You don't have to pay me back a dime. You are forgiven your $6 trillion debt like that. Fully, freely, and forever. Your debt is gone. Your slate is clean. Everything is new starting right now. And he forgives them. Isn't that incredible? But this forgiveness is costly. You see, you can't just declare it. You can't just declare forgiveness as if there's no cost. It's costly. The reason that this man had debt is presumably he had borrowed some money. He had a lot of debt. Someone had given him this money. And for, for him to be forgiven, someone had to absorb the cost and the pain of his debt. Think about it like this way, like this. Imagine that you are involved in a small car accident. Someone hits you and knocks off your bumper. And this person has no insurance, no job, and no money. Well, how is your car going to get fixed? You can stand up and declare, I forgive you. Okay, well, how's your car going to get fixed? Well, someone has to pay for your car to get fixed, don't they? Either that person has to pay, or you have to absorb the cost, and you have to pay for it yourself, or you'll be driving around with a broken bumper all over town. Someone has to pay. You can't just declare it. The cost has to be taken. Forgiveness requires someone to absorb the debt and someone to pay. The king in this situation says, either you have to pay the $6 trillion debt or I have to absorb the debt and pay for it myself. And the king is saying, I will absorb the debt. I will pay. I will take the loss. And this is exactly what Christ has done for you and for me. Look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says this, And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all, catch that word, all, if you have your Bible, you might want to circle that one. He forgave us all our trespasses. How did he do it? He erased the certificate of debt. Did he just declare it? No. What did he do? With its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, how did he deal with our debt? He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He paid for it in full. I love the image of this verse. It's as if the certificate of your debt of your sin. Can you imagine if there was a list of every sin you had ever committed? Think how long that list might be. Every sin, every thought, every word, every action that you took, you've taken in your life that was not honoring to God. Every one of those. They took that whole list and what... What Paul is saying here is as if Jesus took that list of your sin and he put it right on the cross, right over his hands, and it nailed it right through his blood-pierced hands. He nailed your debt 
to the cross and he paid for it in full. Forgiveness is costly, but it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? When God forgives you of your sin, he doesn't just declare it, he pays for it. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means you acknowledge that you owed a debt to God that you could never pay. And that you could never pay it off, no matter how hard you worked. But instead, you throw yourself on the mercy of the king. And you see that the king came and he died in your place and he paid off your debt. He took your punishment that you could be completely, freely, and forever forgiven. The king has given you a mercy you could never deserve. But you see, the cross shows us how we are forgiven but that's not all it's also to show us how we are to forgive others look at scene number three scene number three a forgiveness you should never withhold a forgiveness you should never withhold the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii he grabbed him started choking him and said pay what you owe What's the first thing of this forgiven man does? He says, well, who owes me some money? He's just been forgiven six trillion dollars. And so notice, he goes and he finds this man who owes him a hundred denarii. Well, that's a hundred days wages. Times a hundred dollars is ten thousand dollars. So that's the comparison, six trillion to ten thousand. And notice how violent he is. He comes up to this man, he grabs him, and starts choking him. He doesn't come and say, hey, you owe me some money, can we work this out? He comes and he's violent with him. Verse 29. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now this time, is it reasonable that he might actually be able to pay him back? Yeah. Did you notice exactly that he uses the exact words that the first servant used when he approached the king? The exact words, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Notice how the first servant, his first act of gratitude is ingratitude. After he's been forgiven, he doesn't allow forgiveness to flow through him. He doesn't extend forgiveness to others. C.S. Lewis sums this up this way. He says, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. This man loved receiving the forgiveness, but he didn't extend it to others. What a radical act of ingratitude. Let's see what happens. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he summoned him, his master said to him, You hold the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured 
until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. What a story. We find out that the king expected those who had received forgiveness to extend forgiveness. Those who had received a great forgiveness of their debt were to forgive the lesser debts of others. I want to point out four things here about forgiveness. Four things I want to show you about this forgiveness that we are to extend. He says, I want to show you that the wrong you have suffered, when you approach forgiveness of others, you have to understand the wrong you have suffered is not insignificant. It's not insignificant. Notice, this man didn't owe just $1. He owed $10,000. I don't know about you, but $10,000 is a lot of money. It's not insignificant. He owes a significant debt. It's just incomparably small to $6 trillion, But it's significant. And one of the things we must understand, you will never be able to forgive others by acting like it doesn't hurt. You will not be able to forgive others by minimizing the pain that they have caused you. You can't just, when someone really hurts you, you can't just go, oh, it doesn't bother me, sticks and stones. You can't really forgive if you're pretending that the cost isn't there. If you're just pretending there is no damage. That's just like driving around with a broken bumper, pretending that your car is fixed. It's not. You can't forgive if you just try to ignore it or treat it as insignificant. But following the example of Jesus, you can choose to absorb the debt. You know the cost. You absorb the debt. You take the hurt. You take the pain on yourself, and you can extend forgiveness to others. You can say, listen, I know you've hurt me, but I am going to choose to not do anything about it but release you and to forgive you. But you can't act like the wrong is insignificant. The second thing we learn here is that God expects you to forgive. God expects you to forgive. Forgiveness is not optional in the Christian life. And forgiveness is releasing the debt and no longer counting it against them. Now, this doesn't mean you don't have proper boundaries, but it does mean that you acknowledge the pain, absorb the debt, and you release people. C.S. Lewis says that when we are unwilling to extend the forgiveness that we've received, it's because we think we know better than God. Here's how he puts it. He says, If God forgives us, we must forgive others. Otherwise, it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. When you have someone that you are struggling to forgive, if you will remember that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for the sin that they committed against you and that the blood has covered that sin, then you must choose to extend forgiveness to them because if God doesn't count it against them then how in the world can I you see we must choose to forgive if we've been forgiven number three unforgiveness hurts you unforgiveness hurts you unforgiveness hurts you 
We often don't forgive others because deep down we think it's hurting them. But unforgiveness actually hurts us. And it's an unhealthy way to live. Here's how one writer puts this. Anne Lamott, she says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Do you get it? It's like drinking rat poison yourself and thinking it's going to hurt them. Unforgiveness will just destroy your soul. We are to forgive. And lastly, I want you to see that forgiveness reenacts the gospel. Forgiveness reenacts the gospel. As we practice forgiveness in our marriages, in our families, in our friends, with our, in our work, in our relationships, we practice forgiveness and forgiveness if, is, is not like something you do once a year it's a weekly activity isn't it forgiveness when we practice it actually puts the gospel on display growing up my brother and i would reenact old batman episodes y'all remember the old batman show with adam west y'all remember this they'd punch someone and it would say pal by their head and all that stuff it was awesome loved it and me and my brother would reenact those. It always began with an argument of who was going to get to be Batman and who had to be Robin, right? No one ever wanted to be Robin. But we would play and uh, we would reenact the whole episode. Whatever was in the episode, we would do that for my parents to watch. Uh, and it was as if they were re-watching the episode through us. It was a reenactment. When we forgive others, when we choose to forgive when we choose to model biblical forgiveness, to forgive as we've been forgiven, what are we doing? We are reenacting the gospel to other people where they can see the forgiveness that they can receive from God. When we forgive others, what are we doing? We're saying, I'm going to absorb the cost, take the pain, and release you from your debt. Just like Jesus did for me. Every time we forgive it is like a little reenactment of what jesus has done for us forgiven people forgive parables are stories with a point so what's the point of this story well let's go back to peter with his question he says jesus how many times are we to forgive how many times are we to forgive? Are we to forgive seven? And Jesus says, no. No, no, no. You're completely missing the point. You are to forgive just like you've been forgiven. God's patience has not run out on you. God has never looked at you and said, that's one, that's two, that's three, I'm done with you. But on the first time, just like the hundredth time, just like the thousandth time you sinned and stumbled, when you come to the king, he will forgive you every time because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for you at Calvary. And so there is no limits on the forgiveness we are to extend to others because there is no limit on the forgiveness that is offered to you in Christ. The only condition of you receiving forgiveness is that you throw yourself on the mercy of the king. So what do we do when we know we, are, we should forgive? 
but we just don't want to. We must remember the gospel logic of this story. We must remember the gospel logic. Three things we must remember of the logic of forgiveness in this story. Number one, we must remember that you owed a debt you could never afford. You owed a debt you could never afford. But secondly, we must remember God has shown you a mercy you could never deserve. And three, we will remember that you should never withhold forgiveness to others. So what's the point of this story of the unforgiving servant? It's that forgiven people must forgive. Forgiven people must forgive. And when we do, it will point people to the king. That's the good news of the gospel. And we put it on display every time we forgive one another. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you today, this text is challenging and difficult. We acknowledge that. Father, I pray that right now, if there is unforgiveness in in my heart or anyone's heart in this room, I pray that the Holy Spirit will right now show us where we need to extend forgiveness. Right now, Father, will you show everyone in this room if there's someone in their lives they need to forgive? Make it abundantly clear by your Spirit that they've been harboring on this, they have not released it, they replay it over and over in their minds, and they just get more bitter and bitter and bitter. And Father, I pray that you will show them right now that they need to release that to absorb the cost to release that person and father i pray for each of us that you will press the gospel deeper into our hearts may we be refreshed today by the idea that we have been forgiven such a great debt we owed a debt against you our sin was cosmic treason it deserved hell it deserved separation But Christ came and died and took our debt on the cross and paid it, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross that I might bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Press that truth into our hearts deeper and deeper this morning, that our debt was greater than we could have imagined, but the grace is greater still. And help us be a people who know forgiveness from you but also extend that forgiveness to others. And may others see the goodness of the gospel as we practice forgiveness. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has never tasted of what forgiveness is like from their king, that today they will throw themselves on the mercy of the king. It doesn't matter how big their debt is. It doesn't matter what they've done in the past. But I know that Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient to pay for any sin. And this morning, if they will put their faith in Christ and they will cry out for the mercy of the king, he will pay for their sin. Every one of them, they can have a clean start. Their debt can be wiped out. Father, I pray that they will place their trust in you right now, this morning. 
Father, we thank you that you're a good king who loves us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to respond through singing. And the song we're going to sing is going to have an image in it that compares all of the debt that we have accrued, all of our sin, as if it was this one long list. And it's going to say, as long as your sin list is, his mercy is more. Let's stand and sing that together.
this before you get started. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I remember a week or so, I guess it was last week, I told you that we recorded a new CD and it was coming in. Well, it's in! We got our brand new CD. It's called God Really Loves Us, recorded live on April the 30th of 2023. This is the best thing I think I've ever been a part of. This was an amazing night. It's an amazing recording. And uh, so here's, I got some deals for you today, all right? So these are $15 from the bookstore. If you buy, oh, oh, by the way, let me go back and tell you, we now have four CDs that the worship, our worship team, our Manchester worship has made. Uh, and so what I want to tell you is that if you buy one, you get them 15. If you buy two, you get them for 25. If you buy three or more, and you get them for 10 bucks a piece. So for 40 bucks, you can have everything you always wanted of us. So, so go to the bookstore and grab those. Or if you just want to get them online, you can click on, you can look at that, that, QR code and uh, and go get there. Okay, I'm done, Tim. Thank you, buddy. Boy, it's something. Every day is different, isn't it? Yeah. There's more. <laughs> 